Clubhouse's coverage of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This is for the third season, episode six, episode title, Kind of Bleh. <laughs> Did I get that pronunciation like correct? That. Very French. Bleh. People. Yeah, excellent. Do you think I'd mix into the culture? <laughs> I can hardly recognize you. <laughs> Are you picturing a beret on my picturing bean? Picturing so many things over there. <laughs> Let's pick up this week with Miss Sophie Lennon because we are finally getting an opportunity to have her do a run through with the investors and they choose to present this to the audience in a tension filled, very secretive, very like reveal kind of moment kind of way. Did you appreciate how they did this? The whole scene was very expertly done. The acting and the staging with everybody going into the room and then them changing the lights off set. It was very much like a the way a play would show the passage of time. And they even go through the extra step of everybody coming out and looking completely shell-shocked. <laughs> the one woman like gr- like clutched her pearls. <laughs> Almost, yeah. It was, it was like that. The men too, like hands shaking and kind of thousand yard stares. So you didn't know which way it went. I, I assumed it went horribly. Yeah. And they, they got us. They got us. Because I thought that too. Will you come out of, they must have been expecting it to be terrible. It seemed like they you know, the the odds were stacked against them with this whole Stringberg play. It seemed like everyone knew about this in some way and was very skeptical of this actually going well. So we were set up to think this was going to be a horrible situation, and then the actual tension of the scene worked perfectly. I mean, you're so right. Like that was brilliantly played by everyone. What a relief that it was actually going to go well. Did you like feel like Susie was feeling like she finally had a victory here? Yes. Yes. How could she not? Both ends of the spectrum were experienced in this in this setting. The the low of everyone saying she looks like she's in a coma to the high of I can't believe it worked. Yeah. When she like when she was like in a coma, right? Yeah. And then Jane Lynch was like <gasps> like makes this sound and like walks for it. Well, I was like, oh she, my god. She she inhales the macaroon. <laughs> That's Macron. What, yeah, that's what that movement is, though. <laughs> that that gulp so is is the is the macaroon going right down her gullet. Oh my god! Oh my lord! Okay, she is a funny, funny actress. She that, is. Yeah. I mean, she has comedic timing like few others, and I I give her all the props for that scene because she held that tension perfectly. Now, what did you think about the fact that they add this extra obstacle with us, the theater? I wonder if it wasn't to build in a favor that would need to be owed to her her two get it done guys. Ah, oh, I like that. Because why else would you need to change the theater? And- I don't know if it's just to create like one more obstacle for her. Like it would be too smooth sailing if they just were like, we had a great rehearsal and then everything's going great and we go right to opening night. To me, it seemed like we had to have something else going on, but I do appreciate bringing back in Nikki and Frank, who is a Palladino himself, that's Eric Palladino, and giving them another opportunity. We, we've seen that before in many other shows. This is us. When you have a family member, you might, you might throw them some extra lines, give them a little something. Something, something. Maybe he's the Clint 
Howard of the family. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's the Frank in our marvelous Mrs. Maisel. For this one, I mean, I was happy that it was fixed so quickly. And and here we are. We're we're off and running. We're actually having our rehearsals. It quickly spins out to this craziness of everyone calling Susie. The substandard Jello. The I can't Susie, work with her. I'm disappointed in this Jello. I'm disappointed in this Jello. <laughs> the the pep talk of a, of her lifetime. Like if you've been listening to this series of podcasts, you've probably heard me very worried about Susie. The concept of faking it till she makes it, and that possibly catching up with her. I'm starting to think that I might be wrong because every time they show her on screen, she's making another step forward. You know, last episode, she can barely swim. She's unwilling to put on a bathing suit. This time, she's got the shower cap and a bathing suit, and she's taking a call in the pool. Very That means she's much more comfortable in the water. She's giving this pep talk and talking to Sophie in a way that, that we've never seen before. <laughs> My concept of, of Susie is, is blown. On the one hand, I do enjoy seeing characters make progress. On the other hand, when I'm done watching this season, will I look back and wonder, do they take her too far too fast or what? In the middle of it right now, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, even though these are episodic trials that they're showing us, there's actually weeks Mm -hmm. apart here. And you can imagine a million other phone calls that we weren't privy to. Yeah. So, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. I don't think it's like turning on a dime. The reaction that surprised me more was Sophie's when she did say like, get in there, eat that jello, do this. And Sophie's like, I will. Like she took it so well. I was like, woof. You know, like I, the, she was the one that I was staring at. Like I knew that Susie was going to attempt to be more strong with Sophie. I just didn't know how that was going to land. And yeah. it worked. I mean, it turns out Sophie doesn't mind being led to a point. <laughs> I mean, that one of the keys of, of humor is not only timing, but repetition, mm. right? And so Sophie calls, then Gavin calls, and then the director calls with... That might be the funniest part of this whole show so far. I See, I, you, they had already got me laughing with Gavin saying, do you know she wants the dogs to be in? And in the background, the, the big dogs are like crossing the stage. Like that already was like priming me, but you're right. Then when we get to the fact that Gavin and Sophie are now having this insanely loud sex fest and that everyone is having to wait through that you can hear on the phone. I mean, yeah, it was hilarious. They'd be in her dressing room, right? So it's loud enough that it's ringing through the rest of the concert hall, right? <laughs> Great acoustics. Yeah. Yeah, really, I mean, really carries. Oh my gosh, too much. Okay, so now my big question is, anytime when you what have- if I'm not sexually attracted to him? Right, it turns out very sexually attractive. Whenever you have two actors who have that will they, won't they, will they, won't they, like that big question of the sexual attraction, right? And then they do have sex- Sometimes that kind of fizzles what they have going, you know, that that suddenly they don't have that tension. They don't Mm. have that same push and pull. I'm a little worried about what this is going to do. Like we've seen that on other shows, you know, like Moonlighting or something like that, right? Where the whole thing is the tension or castle or anything. And and then if they have sex, if it actually happens and you guys might be like, they never had sex on Moonlighting. I don't actually remember. I'm just talking about the tension between the two people and that if and when they ever have sex, it takes it to this whole other place that you're like, wait a minute, that's not what we're used to. 
So what do you think is going to happen? Will it hurt the play? Will it help the play? Great question. I've been so down on the prospects of Susie because of jumping in with both feet into areas where she doesn't know and things have been looking up so well, it almost stands to reason that after this great investors run through and everybody thinking, okay, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. When that, you say it so many times, this is going to work. Doesn't that almost foreshadow yeah. danger zone? I don't want it to not work. I mean, if I knew Susie personally, of course, I would want this to work for her. <laughs> but as a viewer, I I'm, I'm, think I'm set up for just what you said, that working tension that they had prior changes now. And maybe she can't seem to separate her personal feelings too much from her acting self, like Actors are supposed to. Oh, yeah. So say this animalistic sex fest turns into sour grapes afterwards, right? Or just like you're over it. Like you did it. You know, you conquered the mountain, if you will. You rode that horse. Spank that monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Then the deed's done. It's kind of like, okay, we did it, you know? Unless we're moving forward with some like meaningful relationship that it's kind of like, Which also could be negative for an acting relationship. 100%, Um, right? Isn't the rule you're never supposed to work with animals, children, or hire a married couple to play a married couple? Yeah. I mean, this could be danger zone. So let's put a pin in that because there's something in the theme for this episode about best laid plans and then someone doing something so outside your reach that no matter how well you planned it, it doesn't go the way you would have wanted it. So put a pin in that idea because we're going to come back to that a couple of other times. Let's move over to Abe and Rose and talk about their time here in Miami. They seem to be adjusting quite well to the Florida sunshine and food and hotel life. If you were Midge, you know, understandably, you want your parents to be proud of you. Lots of kids do, even into adulthood. If you're doing something and your mom says, I'm proud of you for doing that, you feel better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I can't blame Midge for wanting that. God damn. I mean, at a certain point, wouldn't you have just been like, okay, fine. You don't need to come. I don't know because she's never come to the show once. It's not like Rose has come and it's been a bad experience and now you're asking her to continuously give you another try. Like she's never seen her do this. So there's something about it. I mean, I'm queen of like, look at me, look at this. I mean, you've teased me about She is the queen. Like I'm like standing on one foot. I'm like, mom, can you do this? And then she's holding her scepter right now. And then what is my mom's line? She says, why would I want to? Why would I want to? <laughs> That's my mom's line. <laughs> So, yeah, she's got a little Rose action in her. I was really disappointed in Rose in this episode because I thought we had made some serious steps in her trip to Oklahoma to visit her family and her disdain for this all boys club. And that she felt like, you know, she took her grandmother's picture off the wall. She felt like, you know, this is this is crap that women aren't allowed to break through and be a part of the, the, the bigger, better world, what have you. I was really sad that none of those feelings transferred to Midge and her like complete need to continue to like lie, say she's Shy's costume designer rather than say she's the opening act, you know, to to continue to just avoid seeing Midge at all being so I mean, just being 
blatantly rude. Her feelings about this idea of a woman's place in her world are highly unresolved. So she does have a mixture of more progressive feelings. Hello, she went to Paris by herself. Right. Combined with how she was raised, what her actual preferences developed into. She was willing to leave her trust, leave all the money on the table over the fact that she wasn't being treated equally as a woman. And yet look what she's doing with her daughter. I mean, my eyes are just like boggled. And similarly, she seems to have an infatuation with Shy, mm -hmm. but blames Shy for taking her away from her engagement. She says, you were engaged, but Shy asked you to go on tour. So it's like she has this duality of what she knows is better and what she thinks is better, I guess. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, somewhat. I, I just thought that there were such clear-cut positions that they had put her in. You know, the choice of being this independent woman to go to Paris alone and live this life. I mean, it was so off the beaten path. It was so not the traditional stay at home wife, you know, cater to your family move that that, I mean, that was such a big move and lasted a good portion of this series. And then to then have her also leave her family trust all over. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, well, there was like 15 issues that had to do with that trust. No, she left on one issue alone that females should be treated equally in the group. What in the world? I just, I can't get over it. I'm super disappointed in her. And just the utter rudeness of ignoring her, talking over her, you know, just being so embarrassing to get drunk and be like acting like a fool at the show. I mean, that was bad. I would be, I know this is a comedy, so they're not going to have Miriam like, you know, scream at her mom. But if you put this in any other family drama, comedy, dramedy, th there would be some serious Definitely. anger and hurt feelings. Cut the shit, mom. Uh, like, <laughs> please escort her out. You know, like, this is a whole freaking scene, you know, and Abe asking for a warm blanket. Oh, my Lord. Right. I laughed at Red Skeleton four times. I laughed at you twice. So you're half as funny as Red Skeleton. How about telling her to like cut the whole, like all the parts to her act where people don't laugh, like not understanding the setup of comedy. That again, that whole portion of just like not understanding what her job is or even what the profession is. I'm not sure if I a hundred percent believe it. Like really Abe has never heard someone tell a joke. He doesn't know I mean, you watch Red Skelton. You you don't know that there's a setup and then there's a punchline. Like, I'm a little like, I don't know. This felt kind of kind of off for the parents for me. Like, I need them to make some forward motion. If you're saying, is Susie moving too fast? I'm saying, holy smokes, what did they do to these two? Where Rose was definitely a jerk and disappointing, um, Abe, on the other hand, took his, his interests in, in his... Um, progressivism and his dissatisfaction with his beatnik friends into a, a new direction. When you said, oh, that's Jason Alexander. I was like, <laughs> I, yeah, that is Jason Alexander. <laughs> that was an interesting little bit there, that, that conversation with Asher. That's funny. Another Asher shows up in a Paladino that project. That is funny. They have a thing for that name, huh? I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But that they were basically OG on the on the beatnik beat uh 40 years ago right interesting little conversation plus bringing in the concept of the blacklisted hollywood slash broadway writer 
into this whole conversation. Specifically communism and, and all that stuff, McCarthyism, mm-hmm. right. you know, bringing all of that to the forefront. Yeah, you're right. And they did it in a in a very smooth and layered way that it's not like they they had it where they were where they were just saying, uh, we should discuss communism or McCarthy. Like it was just like you just had to understand it through through Asher's career story, what happened and what was happening in bigger society. If you're listening and you don't know what that is, I won't explain it, but I will say you should, it's an important era that you should look up because it's a cautionary tale about the idea of people in power going after your beliefs and what that can turn into. In short, what they're showing here with Asher is that his life and career were destroyed. He's made the best of it by opening a bait shop but he loves the theater, but the theater broke his heart. So he can't even think about the theater now because of being blacklisted. It was primarily going on in Hollywood. From things that I've read, it's a little like people are a little like mm, Broadway was a little more forgiving than Hollywood. But still, I mean, they're just trying to say the entertainment industry as a whole went through this whole you know, issue of basically it's similar to the cancel culture that we have now, but the issue had to do with politics and, you know, where you stood in your politics. And, and that was like a huge portion, of course, looking directly at communism. So all of that stuff was interesting. I mean, I can absolutely see that we have a new direction for Abe and he sat right down at his typewriter and was going to go for it now. Do you think he's writing a play? Do you think he's writing a book? What do you think he's doing? I think after coming home from seeing his friend's play being performed, he'd be most inspired to write a play. You can put forth your your opinions and express them through the characters and their actions. And so that seems more like what is crawled up Abe's craw right now <laughs> is his need to express that. I can see some major movement there. I am really crossing my fingers for some major movement for Rose because, boy, I was just angry at her, like the majority of this. And her lack of mothering skills is fascinating to me because then I feel like then we have Midge who is, you know, having all this guilt about not being around her own kiddos. The big realization that they're not going to be able to go to the Catskills. I thought that was cool to keep with the family history and keep with like our traditions because it would be really easy to kind of forget about that. Like, oh, we're in Florida now. Why would we mention that? You know, but Mm -hmm. important that we say, oh yeah, it's the time of year that we went to the Catskills and this is the time we'd be doing this. And Midge's like realization that this would be the first time that her choice is really taking her in a direction that she actually has to change things she's done her entire life. Exactly. The, uh, you know, adults all run into that, especially with things that they've carried over from jobs, childhood, you know, her comparing her shy schedule with when they would normally go to the Steiner campgrounds and finding no adjacent days. Right. And then trying to kind of wedge the the children into her life now and say, well, Joel could bring the kids here and we could have this like wacky, you know, Florida vacation trying to make it work. It was very Homer Simpson, like, it's still good. It's still good. Like trying to make it work. Right. No. I mean, do you think that Joel had any obligation to make that work for her? Is it like, no, he was doing enough. I'm never camp Joel, but when they were arguing on the phone about all this, he did not hit below the belt. He did not raise his voice really any any more than she was raising hers. And he was playing super fair, I thought. Everything he said about, are you saying this is happening because I'm not there or whatever? And you, you're not here. Right. You know, this is the facts. So 
To answer your question, no, I don't think it's up to Joel to make up for the fact that she's decided to go and do this. And I think it's the reality of divorced parents when, you know, Joel says, well, I actually remembered to keep my cat skills reservation. And so the kids are not going to miss out. It's really like we're just kind of honing in on just you're going to miss out. So in that case, it's like, I don't know, Midge, do we go to the Catskills for you? You know, or was this more about the kids and the family all getting to go? So I'm, I'm not normally team Joel, but I do think that it was probably too much to ask. You know, maybe, maybe there could have been a thing where she, if she really wanted this to happen, I think she could have probably contacted Zelda and asked Zelda to bring the kids down. That actually doesn't seem that far-fetched. Maybe. But... Also, Zelda is firmly entrenched over at the Maisel's house. After yeah. she took off her uniform, things might be very different with Zelda. I'm not so sure. And she may not appreciate having been left. Yeah, there's all that. It's all so crazy. Imagine Zelda sitting there with, with the Maisel's. And Joel didn't even say, like, you know, the last time I came, it wasn't such a great idea as it turns out. So. True. He's not even throwing any of that stuff in her face. So good call. Now, Joel is having quite a time, though, here, Paul. Now, here's where anything that sounds like praise for Joel from me turns back to how I normally sound about Joel, which is 100% negative. Okay, I'm so curious about what you think about this entire interaction between him and May. The liquor license is the thing. We knew that was going to be the thing. Last week we said either May is going to push it through or hold it up because she has other reasons for it. It seemed likely she was going to push it through to me. I said hold it up, but I was wrong. What do you think about Joel's big reaction to this? Does he have any legs to stand on? His singular point about having ridden Midge's success too much in, in this previous relationship and him never feeling like he accomplished something for himself, that's his only leg to stand on in terms of having this reaction, right? He's not wrong. When he said the brisket thing, it reminded me way back when. Do you remember that she would always bring the brisket? That's why he was allowed to have any stage time. Yes. So, you know, that whole greasing the wheels for him, you know, him not really doing it on his own, him having to be, you know, under his dad and, and again, sort of like not starting anything on his own. He hasn't created this club yet. He really, really wants to do it on his own. But you he, know what I'm going to think about this, but go ahead. It was almost like he had this conversation with someone else and then picked it up with May halfway through like she was supposed to already know all this stuff because he was already so upset. You know, another way to handle this might be like, hey, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, but moving forward, it's super important to me that I do as much of this on my on my own as I can. And there's I can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense. But... I have to feel like I made this place. That's just, I've got to feel that way at the end of the day. Now, is that important for all people? Am I saying that that's like how everybody should feel? No, but that seems to be the way this character needs to feel about this club. But blowing up at her, she it took her off guard, you know, and completely unfairly. I was thinking about the approach for... Joel and what he could have said, how he could have approached the situation with May. I don't think they're at the point of their relationship where he can be so vulnerable and and tell her the truth. I think if we were six months down the line and they had had some pillow talk and there was some intimacy and they felt like there was some actual like trust between the two of them beyond just her bringing things to him, then I think there could have been some opportunity for him to say, look, I'm in a family business. 
with my parents. My father built all this. I'm really just going through the motions of keeping it going. I need to explain something about my ex-wife. She is talented and wonderful and charming, but that can be very overbearing for me. This is how I'm taking it as Joel. Now, I don't feel this way about Midge, but you could take it this way. She meant well all along, but in reality, I felt like, and, and she was trying only to help me, but it was something like, I need to go through this exercise of seeing if I have the chops on my own. And and that does mean there's going to be more obstacles for me. And I totally get that. But if I can't get through those, I'm not going to feel proud of what I built here. I am of the mind that no one is an island. I mean, everyone gets things done in the world because of other people and networking. And that's what May was saying. I think that bringing in the culture difference was actually a really smart tact because it wasn't about pride so much as what she was saying. She was saying, like, you don't have the connections. You don't speak the language to even make those connections. So you're so far behind the eight ball. I was just trying to give you a leg up on some of these things, which felt less like the brisket and greasing the wheels and more like you just don't even have a shot here. You know, you're, you're literally not speaking the same language as the people you're trying to work with. Offering to be a translator, offering to, to send people over who you know can be helpful. I don't know if that's the same level as what Midge was really doing, which was truly like bribing everyone, you know, with the brisket. You know what's funny about what you were just saying and the reality of, of the club that he's opening that he doesn't even know yet? May probably recognizes that if this club is going to be successful, given its location, bringing the, the Chinese-only jukebox, that's not an accident. Right. That's setting she him up knows. for the only path to success. This is, this is either a Chinese club or it's nothing. Yes. And he doesn't know how to make a Chinese club. He doesn't even know he's opening a Chinese club. <laughs> Very, very, very true. When those bamboo cups came, which is what I'm going to call them, yeah. when he uncreated them, I was like, I didn't order these. You know, it was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Like you, oh, you don't get it. Like you don't understand what's happening. When he was like, oh, all of these are more Chinese records. And she's like, mm-hmm. Like, you're right. She's trying to strategically make him successful. May is me. Like I get it. <laughs> You're laughing, right? Because it's true, no? Play back the tape. <laughs> I am totally this woman. If I have a way that I can pull a string for you and you and you look like you're really, you desperately want this to work, I'm going to pull the string for you. Why would I not? Like, that just seems crazy to me. I know there's a lot of people who hold back and who don't pull strings. But I mean, in the other story here, we have Susie using her let's say background or culture or the people that knew her from, you know, they, they bonded over where they came from in order to pull strings with the theater. You know, there's a thousand different examples of how this worked, you know, throughout this series. And what did, what did he want? Did he just want to put in his application and yeah, just on his merits alone. And that would be enough. Who yes. cares? He does. And that's the thing. Like he cares. He wants it to say Joel Maisel and someone to respect that name enough to have it hold weight. And and I mean, I know we're both rolling our eyes like, but you haven't done anything yet. Why would anyone know your name? The club, ultimately, its success will ride on decisions that he makes. And that can be his pride. But who stamped the liquor license is where you're going to center all your focus to me, it was how reverent the liquor license guy was being. I didn't know who you were. 
like all of that business was kind of higher level than I expected. I expected her to pull some strings and get it just fast tracked. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect this like royalty. Oh my Lord. If you ever have a problem in the future, you contact me directly. Kind of like fear in this man. May has a lot more stroke than she is trying to act like she has. She's trying to act like, Oh, I just, I just told people that you needed stuff. You know, I was just being friendly. That wasn't a friendly response. The liquor license man seemed like he was going to be killed. <laughs> If he didn't get this done. You're better off making friends with people like May. I agree. I'm a May. You should mm-hmm. be friends with me. Don't cross her. I think making an enemy of her, embarrassing her, having her have to stalk out when you turn away things she brought, this is a gigantic gigantic error on his part. I do not disagree. Um, you know, what the May giveth, I don't know if the May will taketh away or not. Do you suppose she's the vindictive type? Man, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes the next day and every single thing she ever brought was stripped out of that place, including any plumbing work that had been done was undone. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, I wouldn't like to think that May would be like that. I wouldn't do that. I would just walk away from it. But she's pretty mad. He embarrassed her. He really embarrassed her and made her feel small. And he was admonishing her like she had done something wrong. I mean, it was terrible tact. And in front of like her own, you know, helper people too. You know what, Caroline? What? He embarrassed himself. He did embarrass himself. You know who else embarrassed himself? Archie. Archie. Freaking Archie. He was a hot mess express throughout this entire episode. Penny Pan phase? Archie, that's a mistake of a phase. You don't want that phase. (laughs) Right. That's a blow up your life phase. Archie was a jerk in this episode, you guys. I mean, I am glad that Emma Jean came and was calling on his antics and putting up pictures of the kids and her own wedding photo and everything and being like, when exactly are you coming home? Because Archie is being a jerk. The taking off the wedding ring stuff, I was real frown faced. That really, really sucked that he was doing that kind of stuff. And that he thought that Joel was going to be okay with it. That was a real disconnect. Uh, I mean, they were, they were, and they were working, <laughs> right? I know that their job was, you know, kind of a gray area if you're, if you're scouting clubs and all that, but he was supposed to be with his friend doing something specific, not, yeah, the whole thing. Archie, come on. You got kids at home, right? Three. There's pictures of him on the wall. She just had a baby. At the Chinese club. She just had a baby, which I I don't know. I guess I take extra affront to that because somehow it's like, you know, I don't know. I feel like you should be home helping. There's three kids and a brand new newborn. Like you're really a jackass, you know? I I mean, thank goodness that Joel wasn't like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Thank goodness he did say, this is not cool because I think me and you would like throw Joel like so far in a hole and cover him up with dirt. Like it wouldn't even be funny. Man, this is just some crappy stuff. And I mean, I don't know Imogene at home. I don't know their relationship, but they seemed like they were a good couple at one point. So this is sad to see this all happening. Well, an Imogene that we've seen so far seems to be doing all of the, if you were a wife at this time, trying to hold up your end of the deal at of that era, I'm just saying, I'm prefacing, 
She's ticking all the boxes. She's raising the kids. She's doing those silly exercises. She's doing all the stuff. So if you're doing all the stuff, you have a right to think that your partner's doing all the stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely of the time. This is very Don Draper type behavior out of him, you know, thinking he can just show up when he wants to show up and see the kids when he sees the kids and no one should question him whatsoever. But not cool. I guess we're all seeing it through the 2022 eye and we're just like, this is like, I, I know Don Draper got away with this stuff, but boy, I don't. For a while. For a while. For a while. We're not going to spoil that show for you, but for a while it worked out for him. Yeah. So God, Archie, Joel, May. Mm, what do you think happens there? Where are we going with that storyline? If Joel can pull his pride out of his ass, he will go and apologize to May and try to turn things around because she's a better friend to have than an enemy, I think. She's the key to unlocking this neighborhood. I mean, do you not know that? Do you think that people that look like you, Joel, are going to come to Chinatown for your club where they could go someplace that they feel more comfortable? I don't think so, Joel. So you, you gotta, you gotta work with her. This was still a time when civil rights was very early on and, you know, it's, it tended to be where people stuck with people who look like them and talk like them and all that. So we get that even in the Shy Baldwin storyline where he can't go to Midge's hotel because he's a black artist. He can't be at the same hotel that she's at. That's something that's been overlooked up to this point. You know, I think we completely took for granted that Shy and, and his band was, weren't staying. All we ever saw was Carol. We True. saw Carol where Midge was and never really questioned, like, well, was she like shy down? The, like, where was everyone? You know, this again is bringing in this idea of interracial clubs or interracial hotels or or any of these things. Like, this is still a very big hot button situation that is not going to be easily overcome for anyone. Not for Shy, not for Joel, not for like Mace trying to tell the reality, just like Shy is trying to tell Midge the reality of like what the world really looks like. And they don't seem to get it. Very fair. Do you want to move over to Shy Baldwin and his difficult day? <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is like Alexander and his no good, very bad, horrible yeah, day. Something like that. Did Alexander get beat up? No. No. Hmm. Not that I'm aware. But you know what? How do you feel about Shy? He he's a much more complex guy than than I realized. Well, the idea that he is like you said, a black artist. And now we know that he's actually having to be a closeted gay man at the ta at the same time. This makes for a, I would imagine, a, a largely unsatisfying personal life for him. He gets no time to himself anyway. And that what he does, he has to sneak around and, by the way, be on the lookout for people that are going to mistake him for someone that they should beat up just because of what his skin color is and where they are in the country and, and his et cetera, sexuality et cetera, as well. Et right. Well, on stage, he's perfectly safe and in command, but anywhere else, not so much. Yeah. It's, it's a good reminder where I'm watching 1883 right now and we're having a big conversation about women and, you know, their safety and places that you can be safe and places that you absolutely cannot be safe in the world. And this is a situation where, Oh, you're right. Shy is only safe when he's on stage. And other than that, his sexuality, his skin color, put a target on his back. And and 
I'm so sorry to see that this is what happened with his storyline because he seems like a great guy. He seems like he's a very tortured person. You know, everything with Reggie, he's not allowed to go out. He's not allowed to be on the boat. He can't ride a motorcycle, all this stuff. He seems like he has this career path, but I'm getting like Britney vibes, you know, of feeling very claustrophobic, very like I can't be myself and the whole world, you know, doesn't know what I'm going through. And this is just feeling horrible. Do you like how they introduced Midge as this possible friendship for him as a as a, an escape pod in a way where he can actually literally tell her his real name and his real story? On the one hand, it's great that for him, he's able to open up to someone finally. You know, yes, she wants something from him, the exposure that being with him brings, but... That's just, that's already part of the deal. You know, it's nothing more than that that she wants out of him. And so that makes their relationship much more easygoing. I mean, Reggie has like this very vested interest in making sure that he can stretch out Shy's career as long as possible. Whereas Midge is like, you know, after this tour, we'll slap five and I'll keep going on my way. And that's it. So there's that end of it. But on the other end, you could imagine where being in that vulnerable spot with someone who's shown some emotional volatility, you know, the throwing the shrimp at the, uh, the band members and all that stuff could put her extra vulnerable. If something were to come up, he doesn't like the way that she deals with it for some reason. I don't know. Cause she gets, she's further in, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, interesting. I mean, I was kind of surprised that she, you know, opted. I mean, of course, story-wise, it makes better sense for her to go on the boat with Shy and like kind of figure out what's going on with him. But she, she did split from the band at every opportunity, you know, the band and the backup singers were leaving the boat when she went on the boat, they were all sitting around, not looking for him. She went looking for him. Like, it is going to create like this divide, you know, that she's doing here, which could come back and bite her for sure. If Shy decides to be like, like, because you said like he has a bit of a temper, if he turns on her, she doesn't have any allies in the band right. or any of them because she hasn't been hanging out with them. You can imagine a scene where, say, all, all the onlookers know is that they see a Shy that's super upset and he's just yelling at Midge. No one knows why. Reggie, what's he going to do? He's just going to come down on Shy's side and, and, and say, get out. Oh, yeah. You know? She has no allies. This is the thing. So it's tricky. I mean, I didn't expect the food throwing part. Me you neither. Know? That hasn't really... I mean, I pointed out in an earlier podcast that before the tour even started, he seemed tired. Yes. But that doesn't exactly telegraph all the way up to throwing food at people. Yeah, because he seemed like he liked his band and he liked his bandmates and like the, the women and everything in terms of just like being pals, you know, like we're a group together. But you're right. He seems unbelievably like frazzled and tired and just exhausted and, and done with having to be, you know, told what to do all the time. This would be a difficult life. You know, I mean, Midge showed us the schedule, you know, when she read it off, they don't have any days off for a long time. Mm-mm. They were getting all the way. She was looking from May to September and there was no days that she had available. Yeah, I mean, after Labor Day. Sheesh, right? I mean, that's quite a bit of time for no breaks at all. So I feel for him. What do you think they're going to do with his storyline? I mean, is the tour going to fizzle out? Is that where we're going? I mean, when we leave and Reggie is like, why is he doing a stool set? What? And he was obviously getting angry. Like you knew there was going to be a blow up after this show. What do you make of this? I do see a spiral where the continued 
wear and tear of being on the road, being a super lonely human, despite having all these hangers on. The tour itself could just fall apart. I mean, if he just doesn't show up for things, here's the deal on Maisel series. So far, when it comes to seasons, they tend to like cap it off. Like they're not afraid to take a storyline and just end it. You know, the Zachary Levi fiance thing went like, boop, (laughs) and we're done with that. Right? Yeah. So I'm... I mean, if they want to move on a different way when we're going into season four, then we only have two episodes left. This could be us set up for, and she's no longer on tour. Forget all the stuff we just said about all the months she has busy. Could be. I mean, we got to have like some two steps forward, one step back with this group, right? I mean, that's kind of how it all works. She, she shouldn't just like rocket to fame. Yeah. Well, I mean, the end game of the show is has always been a question mark, right? Does she somehow become like a Sophie Lennon level performer? Everybody in the country knows her name or not? Like, where are we aiming with her? You know? I don't know. That's a super good question. Like, what does this show look like as, as a satisfying ending? Does she have a career that lasts into, you know, her geriatric years? Or is this a blip on the radar of a woman's life where, where there was this small period of time when I was a stand-up comedian. Right. And why I say that is because Amy Sherman Palladino was a professional level dancer for a small blip of time. If you just take that as like just this little like, I didn't get to pursue that route, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is what ended up happening. I went a different way. And maybe Maisel does end up going to be like a TV writer or write, you know, movies or do something like that. Like that wouldn't be crazy. But maybe we're witnessing a certain period of time when she was a stand-up comic. But maybe this isn't her for the rest of her life. Right. I could see that. Me too. So let's see what happens. You guys, we're excited to keep talking with you. Thanks so much for listening. This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars or the highest level rating available would be great, as well as a review. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.